A reading from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. We are in the second week of this season in the life of the church known as Advent. And the word Advent simply means to arrive. It's a season of active waiting, as Henry Nouwen put it. But we're not waiting for the arrival of Christmas or for the presents or for the eggnog or for the warm fire. Just a a quick survey here. Uh, We have this running battle in my household. Everybody in my home thinks that eggnog is disgusting except for me. So how many of you are down with the eggnog? You're my people. All right. Very good. Well, amidst all of that and the fires and and the the time of togetherness and the, the, the family Uh, joy that we experience when we are together. Underneath all of that, those moments that we want to kind of crystallize and freeze in time, there's the thing that our hearts really long for. There is a rhythm that Advent introduces us to of watching and waiting for the kingdom, for the reality of God's presence, for the place where, according to the prophet Isaiah, everlasting joy will be yours. Watching and waiting, though, are learned rhythms. We're not very good at it. And generally, we hate it. This is particularly true of the small humans among us. But even as we go through life and we get more and more practice at it, more opportunities to wait, it's one of those things that with practice, we don't seem to be getting any better at it. I get emails every now and then in my spam folder that uh, try to sell me on all of the ways that I don't have to wait for the kind of best life now. Uh, One of them recently said, try this metabolism hack and get shredded in five days. My favorite one that I got recently, though, said that it it, it hooked me in with this. Have a difficult child? (laughs) Fix their behavior in less than one minute. (laughs) It did not work. But every now and then you come across something that captures the torture of what it's like to wait and it it crystallizes that and it it puts it so well. So as we get started, I want to turn your attention to the screens as we dim the lights a bit and we're going to watch a Christmas ad from a shop in England. Good times for a change. See the luck I've had Could make a good man turn back So for once in my life Let 
Right, I mean, he just wants to give the present. <laughs> I love that. It tugs the heart screen because it, it, it tells you something that we know is true, that there is immeasurably more joy when you give than when you receive. In fact, that might be one of the best things that we can teach our kids at Christmas time, that generosity is a surer pathway to joy than holding on to things or collecting them for yourself. But the other thing I love about this, it shows so well, is just how hard it is to wait. You can feel his childlike pain as he stares out the window, as he stares at the clock, waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the moment is here and there's joy. You don't have to be a child to know the strain of waiting, and as much as we don't like it, it is the place where our anticipation grows. It's that last week of school before summer break. It's the final countdown before the due date. It's the, in my household, circling the date of when spring training camp begins or being stuck in that black hole of time that exists between when you place your order and when your pizza from Mojo's arrives at your house. Sometimes though, Waiting is for important news and the, the ticking uh, minutes that go by, they turn our stomach in knots. It's the callback from the interview that we're waiting for. It's the posting of the cast list for the school play or it's a meeting with the boss to discuss the future. It's waiting on the results of a medical test. I experienced that last one this week. I was in a meeting trying my best to be present while my father was in the ER with a blood clot uh, trying to figure out what was going on. And he's fine, he's home now, doing well. But in moments like that, the waiting is acute. It's, it's also short-lived. You get an answer one way or another. Other times you're waiting and it seems as if there is no horizon. These are the longer questions. Will I ever know love and intimacy? Will my kids be okay? For those who worship Often the hardest thing is waiting on God. And while waiting can cultivate anxiety or fear, Advent names the reality that God's desire in the waiting is to cultivate trust and joy and to connect us to love. By the time that Isaiah prophesied about the servant on whom the spirit of the Lord would rest, 
Israel had been in exile for generations, waiting for the promised one to come, waiting for justice and freedom and peace to come rushing forth. They had seen countless wars. They had seen occupiers come and go. They have experienced the humiliation and the national disgrace of seeing their temple come to destruction. They witnessed there the the very symbol of God's presence, of God's favor, of God's covenant with them turned into ashes. And then they were carried off into a foreign land where they were rocked by the disorienting pace of cultural changes. And they had to learn how to hold on to faith in the midst of all of that. And we know a bit of what that's like. Our days have seen a fair amount of geopolitical turmoil. We've seen heated rhetoric that spills into violent actions. We've seen a whole lot of confusion In recent years, I've sat in coffee shops and in living rooms with people who have felt abandoned by God's presence and saw their faith reduced to ashes. And then there are people of various national and ethnic backgrounds who have been in the waiting room for generations, waiting for and longing for the promises of peace and justice to come into their lives. And so I don't have to tell you what it's like to wait for the Prince of Glory to come to bring the hope of the newness of the resurrection and restoration into your life once and for all. You know what it's like to long for the day when those places of death and mourning will be turned into joyful praise and it hurts to wait. One of my favorite writers is Ernest Hemingway. And during World War I, he was injured while he was working as an ambulance driver. Doctors pulled out 237 pieces of shrapnel from his body and he spent six months Uh, convalescing in and recovering in a hospital. He also spent a lot of time around other patients, kind of hearing their stories and and being with them in various waiting rooms and all that time. He was fascinated by how differently different people kind of had this posture while they were waiting, while they were recovering. Some of them distracted themselves with, you know, small, trivial little entertainments. Others cried out in anguish and lament and despair Still others chose to turn inward and to ask themselves the big questions of life. What am I really doing here? What really matters? And all of these conversations and all of these observations, they became the imaginative fuel for his career as a novelist. And so one of the themes that shines through really clearly in his stories is that the waiting doesn't break us. It merely reveals us. It shows us who we are. For Israel, the waiting revealed just how far away they had gone from their home. And not just geographically, but spiritually, how far they were away from the heart of God, the God who carried them out of bondage, the God who made a covenant with them. Isaiah's language is his direct callback to the 25th chapter of Leviticus, which describes how every 49th year it would be kicked off with this whole year of celebration. 
And in this celebration, ancestral land would be restored to those who lost it, those who were in bondage because the debt would be freed. The jubilee, it was called, or the year of the Lord's favor was a time when everything lost would be restored. Land, homes, lives, identity as people of the covenant. It was a giant giant reset button where all of the people of Israel would be brought back home. You could think of it as kind of a, a little rehearsal every 49 years for the age to come when God's kingdom was to come in full. And so for those who were in exile, Isaiah's image of the Jubilee was a reminder of God's heart and that it was always about bringing them home. His grace, his vision for renewal stubbornly persisted in spite of all their failures to follow a path that would bring them into this good and beautiful life where dedicating yourself to the flourishing of your community, seeing your neighbors come into the fullness of a life that is aware of and dedicated to a God who is loving and kind and generous. A life where weekly Sabbath breaks up the rhythm of work and rest, where shalom is evident in the world, where joy is the normal state of affairs. And so for Israel, this waiting revealed a longing for home. And I suspect that that's what the waiting reveals in us as well. For so many of us, Adam's, Advent's rhythm of, of waiting and watching brings us back to the place where some of our, our fondest memories lie. We even have a word for it. The, the English word nostalgia combines two Greek words, one for home and one for aching. We want to, to recapture the joy and, and wonder of childhood, that time when we were waiting for the day. And there's something about all of the lights in the city and the lights in our homes that, and then the kindness of strangers that we see, it, it brings us back. Even the frenzy of holiday time where all of the commercial music insists that it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is. Because the Hallmark movies this year, they have corgis in them. It's a big hit in my household. It reminds us all of these days that were full of light and wonder. But it's also, sometimes can remind us of the ache, right? The pain of a home that's lost, the one that's gone, that you can't really ever go back to. Since the days of Eden, we have been mourning the loss of paradise. We have been trying to find our way back. That's how our hearts are wired. And so we go throughout life and we we mourn the loss of dreams When a future was once so wide open, it feels foreclosed on. And then we mourn the loss of innocence when we traded wonder for cynicism, all because we were waiting for someone to come and bind up our broken heart. So maybe exile isn't too far off of a feeling. The waiting reveals our longing to return home. 
Advent reminds us that God's heart isn't to keep us in the waiting, but to bring us to the joy of home. For centuries and centuries, Israel would wait for this servant of the Lord, this Messiah who would bring about an end to the exile. The advent of this coming king would mark the transition between this present age and the age to come where humanity would flourish and all creation would be restored into the kingdom of God. As Isaiah put it just a few chapters earlier, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I don't know about you, but I want some of that in my Christmas stocking. Well, then one day, in the midst of all of this waiting, in an unimportant village in Galilee, a rather unknown rabbi named Jesus was asked to read scripture on the Sabbath, and he chose Isaiah 61. He unrolled the scroll and he read it aloud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he continued through the well-rehearsed lines until he stops and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he rolled the scroll back up, handed it to the attendant, and sat down. It was the first century rabbinic equivalent of dropping the mic. And he just went and... When he, when he read this scroll, when he, when he unrolled it and he declares the arrival of Jubilee, of the peace and joy of the kingdom, that it is here today, he is naming the very heart of this season called Advent. He's saying this good news, this gospel that Isaiah spoke about, that your wait is over. Well, I am the long-awaited king. I have come to usher in the kingdom. It is available to all those who will trade their old ways of thinking and doing and take on practicing my way take on my yoke I am here to tell you your exile is over and I imagine those who were hearing this for the very first time were excited at least at first but then after a while I imagine some of them started to look around and say wait a minute this is the year of the Lord's favor this it looks like this well, it was not, to say the least, the kingdom that they were expecting. The very next thing they do in Luke's gospel, as a matter of fact, is they try to throw him off a cliff. Most of the faithful were looking for a clear delineation. They were looking for this, this moment, this thing that would happen, that would delineate the present age where, where loneliness and exile were the norm in this age of, that was to come where God's glory and justice and righteousness and joy would come flooding in. And a day of judgment would mark the time where God's enemies would be cast down and God's friends and people would be raised up. But what actually happens is a surprise, as it often is. Jesus comes to say that the kingdom of God is both now and it is also not yet. Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection drags the future into the present. He opens up a portal from the age to come, a way to live under the reign and rule of the kingdom now, a sign of what is to come for the whole world. 
And he calls his people to be that sign, to live in that kingdom. That's the today part. Today, Jesus says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. The reality is that it is available to live in the kingdom of God, in the here and now. But don't go off into utopianism just yet. Because this kingdom that came in Jesus that he announced is now, but it is also not yet. Which means there is still war and famine and injustice and pain and loneliness and waiting. And we live at the junction of these two ages. We live in the the time in between the times, this kind of messy middle between Jesus' first coming and his second. And did you know that contrary to what you might think, In the early church, Advent was less about the baby in the manger and celebrating the birth of Jesus. It was much more about this season of of actively waiting for the coming king, for the kingdom to come about to bring his justice and his joy and his peace into the world. Fleming Rutledge in her wonderful book on Advent, one of my favorites, I read it every year. She writes about how Advent is not just a season in the church's calendar. It actually is a posture that kind of defines the soul of the church in the here and now. It defines our inner life as followers of Jesus. And she writes this. In a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between because the people of God live in the time between the coming, the first coming of Christ incognito in the stable in Bethlehem and his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. In the time between, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and the not yet that our faith requires. The disappointment, the brokenness, suffering, the pain that characterized life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that advent tension, the church lives its life. In that advent, in that dynamic tension between sorrow and joy, we live our life together with Jesus. Because we live in this age, we will feel sorrow and the pain of waiting to return home. But because we live in as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we also know the joy of being at home with God. And so we wait And while we wait, we will experience not just sorrow, but sorrow and joy. And maybe the most important thing that the waiting reveals is not so much that we wait, but the posture with which we wait. Because the gospel of the kingdom is that we do not wait without hope. The glory of Advent is that God chose to be with us. He entered into our life and into our waiting and into our longing. Jesus came to live his life with us. He is the arrival of our deliverance and the end of all of our longing. And not just the end in the sense of the termination, the end as in the purpose and the direction toward which all of our longing goes. The birth that we celebrate at Christmas is not just a prelude to the cross and the resurrection of Easter time. It is an invitation to enter into the joy of the kingdom right now. 
heaven's invasion of earth is not just about what happens when we die. It's about the reign and the rule of God coming to restore everything that is broken in the here and now and drawing us into that process. The place with the deepest longing for home that God has planted in our hearts finds its origin as we wait. So we do not wait without hope, but neither do we wait alone. The spirit of the sovereign Lord that was on Jesus is now with us so that you have all that you need to live as a citizen of the kingdom. And that means that our waiting is anything but idle. When Jesus says today this has been fulfilled, that today means that you are being drawn into the story. He is joining us with his life into his promise and his ministry of binding up broken hearts, of proclaiming good news to the poor, of proclaiming to those who are forgotten and left and wandering in the dark that there is a way back home. And being born among us, Jesus experienced pain and loneliness, the feelings of waiting, yes, even of exile which means that he knows our longings and our losses. He knows about betrayal and pain. He knows about great dreams and great hopes. He knows about laughter and love. He knows about joy and sorrow. But he also knows the glory of heaven and of the kingdom that is on its way. And so we watch and we wait for his power to break through in unexpected ways. And we join him out in the world, finding that the greatest joy of our lives comes by giving ourselves away just like he did. After all, he knows us. The joy of Christmas is that God has experienced every human emotion. He's not simply waiting, though, groping around in the dark. No, in Jesus, God has come to bring the light. And so, friends, make no mistake, the king is coming. Just don't be surprised if it doesn't look exactly how you might expect. After all, God does hear the brokenhearted cries of the exiles and when Jesus announced that the day of the Lord had come and all of God's people expected him to bring the, the fury of judgment and divine vengeance, he came and said, offering grace upon grace, which tells us something about the heart of God. So make no mistake. While God's judgment will surely bring about a swift and sure justice, while his justice, his judgment will bring about restoration, God's desire from the very beginning of the story was never about condemnation. His heart was always to bring the exiles home. Which is exactly why when he came the first time, he did not direct the justice and vengeance toward his enemies, but instead took the fire of justice and judgment upon himself so that the joy of heaven would be available to all and any who call on him. And God is like a kid at Christmas who just can't wait to give you the gift. Join me in prayer as we come to the table. God, it's here at the table where we who were far away from you are brought near. We who were enemies by nature are given a seat and brought home. And so we ask that you would lead us into the joy of your presence. 
And then, Father, send us back out to join in your mission of bringing all the exiles home. We pray this in the name of the one who has gone before us and who has prepared a table for us. Amen.